Well, in our trek in the book of Matthew, we come today to chapter 12. We've noted that the human author of Matthew, the Apostle Matthew, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, is writing to show that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the one that promised in 2 Samuel 7, who will be considered a son of God, who will reign on David's throne forever and ever over a kingdom, God's kingdom of peace. Matthew is writing to prove that. As we came two weeks ago to chapter 11, we began a new section of the book, chapters 11, 12, and 13, chapters of rejection. Chapters that show that as a nation, Israel rejected Jesus as their Messiah. Chapter 11, in the first half of it, is a record of Israel's rejection of John the Baptist. The messenger, the forerunner of Jesus, who announced that the Messiah is here. And in rejection, in rejecting John... And his message about Jesus, they are rejecting Jesus. Last week in the latter half of chapter 11, we noted Jesus denouncing three cities of Galilee. And told them that he did more miracles and taught there more than other places. And if Gentiles had received as much revelation as they had, they would have repented long ago. But yet these three cities... Rejected Jesus as Messiah. Well, today as we come to chapter 12, we're going to find Israel's religious leaders, these Pharisees, rejecting Jesus once again. And this time they are rejecting him and his disciples by rejecting his authority. We're going to find that the Pharisees are going to accuse Jesus' disciples of not honoring the Sabbath. And thus, ultimately, accusing Jesus of violating the Sabbath. The Sabbath was very important to Israel of the day. The Sabbath and obeying the Sabbath was a sign of obeying the Old Testament law. Obeying the Sabbath was a sign that everything was right between you and God by what you do. So they thought. And so these religious leaders who have rejected Jesus as Messiah, who are rejecting his authority are going to attack him as a violator of their most holy day, the Sabbath. And in their rejection, we're going to see one truth come through clear. And that is this. Jesus does have authority. We saw last week in chapter 11, verse 27, Jesus say, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. Jesus has the authority of God. And as we're going to read today, Jesus is actually going to say that he is Lord 
over the Sabbath. That he can do with the Sabbath what he desires. Just because someone chooses not to recognize Jesus' authority. Does not mean that Jesus is without authority. Just because someone won't honor his lordship. Does not mean that he is not Lord. And so Jesus' authority is sure. The issue is the hearts of these Pharisees. I'm going to read this section out loud. You can follow along in your copy of the Bible. Starting in Matthew chapter 12 verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him... Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions? How he entered the house of God, and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those of, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests and the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Departing from there, he went into their synagogue. And a man was there whose hand was withered, and they questioned Jesus, asking, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. And he said to them, what man is there among you who has a sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So that it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and it was restored to normal like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. At first glance at this passage, we might tend to say, how does this really apply to me? I mean, it's about the Sabbath, and as New Testament Christians, we're no longer under Old Testament regulations. We don't have to worship on Saturday. We're not underneath Old Testament law. How does this apply to me? And yet, one of the major themes in this section is not just about the Sabbath, but rather yielding to Jesus' authority. Yielding to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now that applies to us. Those of us who have put our trust in the person of Jesus Christ. Believing that he is God. Believing that he died on the cross for us. And that rose that he rose again. We know that he is Lord. He is God with all the authority of God. And whether we recognize that day in or day out does not negate the fact that he is Lord. He is in authority. But the question comes to us 
Am I recognizing his authority in my life right now? Over every area of my life. Of my life. There's a verse in the book of Colossians. Chapter 3 verse 3. Where the apostle Paul packs in huge amount of truth into one verse. And this is what he says. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. By that what he means is that the moment I put my trust in faith, trust my faith in Jesus. At the moment you put your trust, your faith in Jesus, you died. I died, meaning the big I, the big me. I'm no longer who I used to be. I'm no longer bound to my sin nature. I'll still sin, but I no longer have to obey it. I, the me, what I want, what I need, what I deserve, positionally dies. And my life is all about the person of Jesus Christ. Practically, as we live out the Christian life, way too often we allow the me, the I, to in a sense lift up its ugly head. And I become more important than Jesus. Sometimes we harbor anger. Well, I was not respected the way I should have been respected. Or I have a right to be angry about this. And instead of forgiving my brother or sister in Christ, yielding to the Lordship of Jesus, I just want to stay mad. Sometimes we hang on to a particular area of sin that we know is sin. But just haven't come to that point where I want to call it sin. And ask God to enable me by his Holy Spirit to find victory over that sin. Sometimes we, you may sense, I may sense God calling us to do something. Maybe it's an area of service. Maybe... It's an area where we feel like we could really use our giftedness and we're sensing that God is at work in our hearts, our lives, bringing us to a point where we will say yes to him, but instead we choose to say no. All of these different areas are subject to his lordship. And yet so often we can come to a point Where we fail to recognize his authority. When I was a kid. Many of you won't remember this. But you could walk into a Kmart store. And buy a monkey. You could. We think how can that be? You can't even buy a turtle anymore. But you could. Can you imagine telling your spouse, hey, I'm, I gotta run over to Kmart. Oh, what do you need to pick up some things? Ah, I'm just gonna go buy a monkey. I mean, but I clearly remember as a kid, I even Googled it. And it, sure enough, in some Kmarts 
around the U.S., not all of them, you may have lived where they didn't have monkeys for sale, but here in Iowa, you could go into a Kmart and buy a monkey. I was at a Kmart with my little cousins and my uncle. One of the times that I I used to spend a lot of time at the family farm in the summers, weeks at a time. And I could remember going to Kmart with his family and just kind of egging on my little cousins like, hey, don't you guys think you need a monkey? I mean, Connie, don't you think you should have a monkey? Eric, don't you really want a monkey? And all of a sudden, Dad, can we have the monkey? And then, then here's cousin Steve like, hey, that monkey would really be fun. And then they're crying. And my uncle, years later, I mean, I'm married. I'm a pastor. My uncle said, I could have killed you that day. <laughs> you guys would really love having a monkey. Now, there's more to the story, because out at the farm where my grandpa lived in Adair County, Iowa, there's all kinds of colorful people around there. And grandpa had nicknames for everybody, all the great ones. My favorite was the guy who had the corn sheller. This is the days before everybody had a self-propelled combine. You picked holier corn, and there's one guy in the community that had a corn sheller, and he went from farm to farm, and neighbors all helped and shelled corn. And the guy who owned the corn sheller, his name was River Rat. Isn't that a great name? That's what Grandpa called him, River Rat. And he always had a big cigar, and he'd never light it. He chewed it. And so there was this constant drip coming down from River Rat. Oh, the memories. Well, one of these old cronies in the neighborhood had his own monkey. And he was really proud of his monkey. I mean, he loved that monkey. And it used to be when I would spend weeks at a time at the farm, we would, you know, it's hard work. And we'd have a big dinner at noon. And then we'd work into the evening, we'd do chores, and whether we're making hay or whatever, we'd come in pretty late and have a lighter supper, and then we'd go out on the back steps and just listen to my grandpa tell stories. And he loved telling the story about this monkey, and every time he did it, he'd start to laugh, and tears would almost come down his cheek, he'd laugh so hard, but the monkey died. And the old guy who owned the monkey couldn't bear not having that monkey. And he refused to take it out of his house. So he had this dead monkey in a cage. He was not married. (laughs) So he had this dead monkey in a cage. And finally, somebody from, from the community had to go in and convince this guy... To take the dead monkey out. And evidently, according to my grandfather, it did not smell nice. (laughs) You know, when something is dead, it's not good to hang on to it. And what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3 verse 3. Is there's all kinds of things that were part of our lives before we became a Christian. That after I become a Christian, after I put my faith in the person of Jesus Christ, shouldn't be there anymore. And yet, it's so easy for us to hang on to what's supposed to be dead. And guess what? When we hang on to dead stuff, it stinks. And ultimately, it comes down to Jesus' authority. 
Now here, these religious leaders, these ones who know the scriptures better than anybody, stand in rejection of his authority. The first thing that they're going to do in chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, is they're going to attack his authority by attacking his followers. Jesus is going to answer this attack on his authority. He's going to do it by declaring that as Messiah, as God himself, he can do with the Sabbath as he chooses. He is Lord of the Sabbath. So here's what's happening. Jesus is walking through a grain field. Just picture if you've ever traveled across Kansas in the early summer as the grains ripening or up in the Dakotas when you see just literally miles of grain. It's, it's almost like seeing the ocean. It's just, when it's not lodged, it's just gorgeous as the wind makes waves across that grain before harvest. And Jesus is walking through a grain field and his disciples are hungry and they reach out and they just grab some grain Go like this, get the chaff off of it, pop it in their mouth and eat it. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, there's an entire verse in the Old Testament that says that that's okay. Deuteronomy chapter 23 verse 25 says it's okay to go through your neighbor's field and grab a handful of grain and throw it in your mouth. When you enter your neighbor's standing grain... Then you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not wield a sickle in your neighbor's standing grain. In today's world, it'd be okay if I went out to Homer's farm and maybe I just had a hankering for some roasted field corn. I could go into his field, grab an ear or two, eat it. It would not be okay if I took a John Deere 9600 combine with a corn head on it and went into his field. That's what Jesus is saying. Okay, that's what the Old Testament law is saying, excuse me. So Jesus' disciples aren't doing anything wrong. They just go through, grab a little grain, pop it in their mouth. But the Pharisees are saying, you're Sabbath violators. And they're claiming that based on the Ten Commandments. Clear back into Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 and following. I'll just read it quickly here. Exodus 20 Verse 8 says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work or your son or your daughter or your male or female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. What the Pharisees are saying, and remember the Pharisees not only have the Old Testament law, but they've added regulation after regulation after regulation in a multitude of writing to the Old Testament law that they say is just as the teachings of the rabbis are just as binding as the Old Testament law. So people are under the weight of this. And they're saying... That by those disciples going through that grain field and getting that grain and and in a sense harvesting the grain, they're working, they're violating the Sabbath. Therefore, Jesus is a Sabbath violator. Now, Jesus is going to defend his authority. 
And he does it three ways. First of all, in verses 3 and 4, he goes clear back to 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 through 6. David, in that passage, is, is fleeing from King Saul, who wants to kill him. And he and a small band are hungry. They come to the tabernacle. Most likely it's the Sabbath day. And inside the holy place of the tabernacle, according to Leviticus chapter 24, verses 1 through 9, on the Sabbath day, they would take the 12 loaves of bread that are on the little gold table in the holy place as an offering before the Lord. They would remove those 12 loaves and add 12 more. So that there's always this grain offering, this bread offering before the Lord. Those 12 that were removed were for the priests. They were only able to be eaten by the priests. Here David ate it. Jesus' point, you don't see the scripture condemning David. Argument number two is in verse five. Here Jesus goes back to Numbers chapter 28 verses 9 and 10. Verse 5, have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? And what he means by that is that the priests are working hard on the Sabbath day. They have to make sure that these animals are sacrificed. They have to prepare these different offerings. They're working, but they're innocent of Sabbath violation. Jesus' final argument is in verses 6, 7, and 8. And basically he says this. I have authority over the Sabbath because I'm the Messiah. I'm God. The Sabbath is there because of me. I can, I can define it. I can say what the Sabbath should be. Verse 6. But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. Most likely a reference to himself. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. And there he quotes from Hosea chapter 6 verse 6. And he's saying that these Pharisees have a lot of external formality, but no spiritual inner reality. They're empty. And then he says this, for the son of man, is Lord of the Sabbath. Now remember that title, Son of Man, goes clear back to the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 13. It's a title that Old Testament worshipers would know is a reference to the Messiah. The Son of Man is coming. When Jesus uses that title for himself, he's saying, I'm it. I'm the Messiah. I'm him. The Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath. I have authority as God's son. What's the issue? The issue is this. The Pharisees are not willing to recognize Jesus' authority. I want to make a quick note about the Sabbath. We as New Testament Christians are not underneath the Old Testament law. Jesus Christ fulfills the Old Testament law. We talked last summer in our series on knowing God's will. That just because I'm not under the Old Testament law does not mean that I'm without law. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 
makes that clear in verse 21. And I'll read that verse. 1 Corinthians 9.21 says this. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. And what Paul meant by that is that as I align myself with Jesus' teaching and the teaching of the apostles, ultimately I am under Jesus' law, the law of Christ, that really is fulfilled in me loving people like Christ loves them. And if I do that, I'm going to fulfill Christ's law. So this passage is not immediately applicable to us. We're not under the Old Testament law. We, we uh, don't observe the Sabbath. But this passage is all about us when we think about what it's saying about the authority of Jesus Christ. You see, his lordship encompasses all areas of the life of the believer. These Pharisees, what Jesus, when Jesus quotes Hosea 6.6, 6, he's saying, you're just all about the externals. It's just external formality. There's no spiritual reality there in your life. In fact, they are marked by self-righteousness. What's that look like? It looks like when even we can do it, becoming critical of how other people are living, not willing to look at my own heart and life. When I grew up, we had television. It was black and white, but we had television. My parents did not buy a color TV till after I left home. My mom always wanted to watch the Rose Parade. And I was like, why? It's black and white TV. I mean, like, get a color TV and maybe I'll sit down and watch it. Well, that's a long time ago. Now we have high def. Remember the first time you saw high def? Like watch a football game with high definition TV. You can see the blades of grass. It's cool. Sometimes it's gross. Like when you're watching a cooking show and there's sweat pouring off of the chef down on top of the food. That's kind of gross. Sometimes you just you see too much watching high def. And what happens when people start Falling into self-righteousness as they start looking at people through high definition eyes. And start wanting to point out everyone's imperfections without really looking at the heart of yourself. That's what's going on with these Pharisees. And they are deflecting truth off of themselves by trying to point out the imperfections of others. And in the process, they are rejecting Jesus' authority over their own hearts and lives. Well, the next thing they do is they actually try to set a trap for Jesus. And down in verse 9 through verse 14, in fact, some Bible teachers believe 
they planted a guy at the synagogue. So we read in verse 9, it says, departing from there, he went into their synagogue and a man was there whose hand was withered. Some people believe the Pharisees planted him there just to trap Jesus. And what we're going to see is that Jesus is going to heal this man and Jesus healing on the Sabbath actually triggers the religious leader's decision to kill Jesus. This is it. They're trying to trap him. Verse 10. A man was there whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So they might accuse him. Matthew tells us. Jesus asked them a question. Hey, which one of you has a sheep? And on the Sabbath it falls into a pit. You're just going to leave it down there and let it die? No way. You guys are going to rescue your sheep, aren't you? Verse 11. What man is there among you who has a sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and it was restored to normal like the other. Then look at verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. My wife works at a public high school. Lindmar High School here in town. 2,200 students. This week there were some students in her office area talking. A sophomore girl blurts out these words. I'm so tired of being 16. Nobody respects me. Nobody listens to me. I wish I was 60. That's what she said. (laughs) The girl next to her says, 60? The only thing people think about when they're 60 is dying. (laughs) And Barbara said, wait a minute. (laughs) You know, there is some truth to the fact that hopefully... The older we get, we pause periodically and take stock of our lives. That's a good thing. We maybe start as we mature to ask questions like, what am I doing with my life that's actually significant? As a Christian, what am I doing with my life that has eternal value? And one of those big questions, those significant questions, more than just like, how many hours do I have before I die, would be, am I yielding my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? You know, Romans chapter 8 verse 9 tells us, if a person is a Christian, the Spirit of God dwells in them. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is he convicts us of sin. If there's areas in my life, in your life, that we are not yielding to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that we are not honoring his authority in that area, unless we have said no to God so many times that our conscience, our ability to hear the Spirit of God is damaged, we know about it. We know 
when we're hanging on to anger toward a brother or sister in Christ. Because the Spirit of God is convicting us of that. We know when there's an area of sin that we just don't want to relinquish. We don't want to give it up. We don't come to that point where we say, Spirit of God, I need your help to have victory in my life over this aspect of my life or this aspect of my life. We know when the Spirit of God is at work in our life and we are feeling a sense of call from the Lord to get involved in serving people here or using my giftedness here in some way and we're saying no. We know those things. And to hang on to those areas in our life that Paul says, according to Colossians 3, 3, are dead. It's that kind of me. It's that I. It's that what I was before I became a Christian. To hang on to dead stuff stinks. And as we look at this passage, it's easy to just deflect it off and say, well, that's about the Sabbath and Jesus' disciples really doesn't have anything to do with me. And yet it has everything to do with you and me when it comes to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Am I honoring him with my life in every area? Am I yielding myself? Am I saying, not my will, but yours, God? Am I opening every area of my life up to him? Or am I hanging on to a dead monkey in a cage that stinks? Jesus put it simply here. In verse 8. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. You see, he shows his authority over the Sabbath. He shows his authority in his word and his works. He shows us that he is God. And as a Christian, when I put my trust in him, he purchased me out of my bondage to sin. I actually belong to him. Am I yielding to him? This morning, if you're here and you don't know if you're right with God or not, I encourage you, one of our leaders will be back in the prayer room, encourage you to stop back there. We've got some material that we'd love to give to you that you can just take out and take a Bible of your own and And look up passages that show you clearly in the Bible how you can know you're right with God. Or maybe this morning you just want to spend some time in prayer. Please avail yourself to the prayer room behind us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus is Lord. Whether we recognize it or not, he is Lord with all the authority of God. And we praise you that he is in that elevated position. And he's there because of his love for us. That he died for us and rose again. Give us the grace to yield to his authority. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.